when we talk about boasting, typically when we are talking about what the Bible says about boasting, boasting is something that is roundly condemned. Pride and arrogance and ego, all of those things are subjects that the Bible has a great deal to say about, often telling us the evils of arrogance and of pride, condemning acts like boasting and bragging. And those are important lessons because of all the sins that are out there, perhaps pride is one of the most pervasive. Perhaps pride's the one sin that everybody has to deal with in some form or some fashion. And so boasting is something that all of us will deal with in one way or another, whether it's verbal, whether it's our lifestyle, whether it's the way we look at others and treat others. Boasting is something that we need to be warned about and that we need to make sure to purge from our lives, or at least most forms of boasting that is. And that's a good thing to study and consider. But tonight I want to talk a little while about good boasting, because while there are many forms of boasting that are condemned throughout Scripture, there are some times in the Bible's passages that we learn about boasting that is a good type of boast, where we learn about when it is good for us to boast. Now, how is that possible? How can boasting be so roundly condemned on many pages and in many passages and then uh, extolled and even commanded in some forms in other portions of Scripture? Well, the real key is the source and the focus and the purpose of the boast. Now, when boasting is based on arrogance and pride, then it is self-centered. It lifts up the self. It displays a trust in self. And clearly, those types of attitudes of selfishness and self-centeredness, you might even say self-righteousness, are wrong and are condemned throughout Scripture. But what if we place our boast in something other than ourselves? What if our boast is not self-centered, but other-centered? Particularly, as we're going to see in many passages, when our boasts become God-centered. Now, if we think about that idea of source and, and purpose and goal, and we think about if boasting is to lift something up, then what does that sound like? That sounds a lot like praise, doesn't it? And when you think about it, boasting and praise are really not all that different. In fact, when I'm boasting, what I'm really doing is praising self. And that right there indicates where the problem is when it's arrogant, self-centered boasting. I am praising self when who I ought to be praising is God, when who I ought to be lifting up is my Creator. And so when my boasting begins to turn towards God, then it becomes something that is good and something that is right and something that will also help me have a right attitude and view of my own life and thus live a life or be better equipped to live a life that is faithful to God. So let's just consider a few passages. Again, this will be a very simple, straightforward study. We're going to start in the book of Jeremiah chapter 9, if you want to turn there. And after that, we're going to read a few different passages almost entirely from the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. But we're going to start in Jeremiah chapter 9. And there in verse 23, verse 24, Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, 
and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Now, Jeremiah apparently lived amongst people who had the same inclinations, same problems as the people that we live among, as the same problems that we often deal with, and arrogance and pride and egoism were just as alive then as they are today. And people boasted about similar things back then as they do today. Notice what they are told not to boast. And he says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Today, I've said this in different sermons when we talk about wisdom and knowledge and learning, so I've said this before, uh, but our society places a high price tag or a high value on knowledge. Think about how much people want access to knowledge. Think about how much emphasis there is on higher education, how much emphasis there is on continuing education. And I'm not saying that higher education, continuing education and knowledge are wrong or evil, but there's such a high value placed on knowledge, and knowledge does exactly what Paul tells us knowledge often does. If you remember, Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Many people spend a great deal of their time and of their energy and even of their money gaining knowledge. And as they gain knowledge, they may become very knowledgeable, they may become experts in a field, they may become intellectual beyond most of their peers, and what does it often do? That becomes a source of pride. That becomes a source of boasting. You know, we can do that too. You don't have to be a philosopher or a scientist or an engineer to be proud of your knowledge. We can grow in knowledge of the scriptures, which is a good thing. We should grow in knowledge of the scriptures. But if we grow in knowledge of the scriptures just to be able to be proud of our knowledge, if it's not actually changing us, and molding us and transforming us into people that are godly people, and what good does that knowledge do? It doesn't do any good. There's a lot of people that know the Bible, as in they can quote it, they can read it, they have all sorts of theories about it, but they're not submitting to it. There are people that are very proud of their knowledge of the Bible or knowledge of other things, but God says, do not let the wise boast in his wisdom. Basically, if you're really smart, good for you, it's not really worth bragging about. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Think about strong individuals, athletic individuals. I enjoy sports. I like watching sports. I detest listening to athletes much of the time because there's not, in my mind, a group of people that are better at boasting than athletes. I guess it's part of the psyche of the game in some ways. But you listen to some of these guys, and there's some out there that are humble, but you listen to these guys talk about why they're the best and how they're better than this guy and how they're more talented than that guy, and it's just obnoxious. Now, I can't say much because they're clearly stronger than I am, they're faster than I am, they're more athletic than I am, so maybe in a sense they can back it up. But at the end of the day, you think about it, what's the matter? If you can shoot a basketball at a high percentage rate, congratulations. You can throw a baseball 99 miles per hour. It'll make a lot of money, but it really doesn't mean that much. If you can lift a, a bar loaded with more weights than almost anybody else, that's impressive. It doesn't make you any different than anybody else. Whatever your strengths are, and it doesn't have to just be physical strength. It can be strengths in any of it, much like wisdom and knowledge. So you're smart. So you're talented really isn't something to boast about. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. 
I think we all know what riches and wealth can do to people. We've probably seen it. Maybe we've been tempted by it if we're well-to-do. Many people look down on others for no other reason than that they have less money. And they're from a different economic class. That they don't make as much money as, as they do. And they feel that that wealth makes them better. But you know, all of these things, you know, the wise man, it does not matter how smart you are, there's somebody smarter. And if there isn't at this very moment, there will be very soon. There's always somebody that's going to learn something you didn't, someone that's going to know something that you didn't. You'll never be smarter than everyone. There's always somebody stronger. There's always somebody more capable. Again, if there's not right now, there will be someone soon. Riches can be lost. They can be stolen. They can be squandered. And none of these things are going to save you from death. So even if you had all of it, if you had wealth and power and intellect, it's really not worth boasting about. Big deal. But Jeremiah says, but if someone wants to boast, boast in this. He's saying this is, and this is the Lord speaking through Jeremiah. He says, this is something worth boasting about. He who understands and knows me. Do you know the Lord? Not do you know about the Lord? Not do you know of the Lord? Not do you say you know the Lord? Do you know and understand who God is? Do you understand His justice? Do you cherish His righteousness? Do you understand and live out His steadfast love? If someone could say that they did, that would be worth boasting about. And now when you think about that, if that still feels a little, I don't know, that sounds weird to say I should boast in that, well, I think it's pretty obvious here what's happening. Do you think you understand the Lord enough to boast about it? No. I think all of us, when we stop and think about it, we can love the Lord more. We can be more righteous. We can be more just. We can learn more of Him. And so I'm not at the point yet where I could really boast about it. But of all these things, wealth, knowledge, power, or knowing the Lord, which one is worth pursuing? Knowing the Lord. And even if you're poor, and even if you're weak, and even if by the standards of mankind you really aren't that smart, if you know the Lord, that's something of eternal value. That's something to hold on to. Now this passage in Jeremiah is quoted by the Apostle Paul twice in his letters to the Corinthians. Let's turn first over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, as Paul opens up his letter to the Corinthians, he, after his opening remarks and his thanksgiving for them, he immediately delves into the main problem and issue that's taking place at Corinth, and that is division. There's people that are kind of grouping into different um, sects of, of saying, I follow this man, or I follow that man, or I follow that man. It's the idea of sectarianism. They're breaking up. 
and there's this division. And as there is this division, what happens when there's division? When there's division, then people tend to look down on the other side. When there is unity, people are humble, people are loving, people are sacrificial. But when we start forming these groups and oppositions, then we begin to look down on one another. Because after all, if I thought it was better to follow Apollos, then I'd be following Apollos. So since I'm not following Apollos, I view myself as better than those who follow Apollos in this example. And so Paul begins rebuking their division and their disunity, and he's calling them to be unified. And at the very end of that chapter, after he goes through, there's so much there uh, that you can read and study in 1 Corinthians 1. But at the end of that chapter, in verse, beginning of verse 30, he says, because of him, you are in, well, let's back up to verse 29, or actually verse 28. I promise we won't back all the way up. But he reminds these people who are looking down on one another. He basically says, why are you mistreating one another and looking down on one another? Don't forget where you came from. And he makes the point that God has not called the powerful and the mighty and the wise. He's often called the lowly and the poor, and the downtrodden. It says, that's where you came from. So, verse 28, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So he goes back to the concept that Jeremiah, you see this attitude of worldliness, this attitude of boasting in wealth or in strength or in power or in talent or in whatever it may be, it easily seeps into the church. And it either causes division or it comes in when there is division. But Paul calls their minds back to their unity in Christ. Every one of them whether they had been rich or poor, whether they had been wise according to the world or whether they'd been foolish, whatever they had been before, all of them had been sinners. And all of them had needed the grace of God. All of them had needed the blood of Christ. All of them had been called out of the kingdom of darkness. They are all on the same page. And so are we. Whatever your education level, whatever my income, whatever our IQs, every single one of us here needed Jesus and needs Jesus. That is a unifying factor. And every single one of us here will have eternal life only because of Jesus. So there's not much to boast about there. None of us are going to get to stand before Christ and be able to say, well, you were pretty lucky to have me in your kingdom, Lord. Here's my resume. Here's my entrance. None of us are going to be able to do that. Our boast is going to be in the Lord. And when, so what's this calling us to? It's calling us to humility. To focus on our need and the mercy we've received, and then that will change how we treat one another, how we interact with one another, how we serve one another. In fact, Paul brings this up again over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And 2 Corinthians is an interesting book because 
there's a lot of so-called boasting in this book. See, in 2 Corinthians, Paul is having to extensively defend his apostleship. It appears that while there may have been some at Corinth that were faithful to him, that trusted him, there apparently were those that were questioning Paul and questioning his apostleship, maybe bad-mouthing Paul. And so Paul has to compare himself to some of these false apostles and some of these false teachers. And so there are times when he shows what he has done, and you can tell he's almost embarrassed by the fact that he'll go through and he'll even talk about what he has done. But he comes back to this idea of boasting in the Lord. In chapter 10, he begins in verse uh, 7. Or, I'm sorry, verse 17. He says, again, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one <coughs> whom the Lord commends. These people were turning the Corinthians away from Paul, or trying to. And they had all sorts of things they may have been saying about Paul. And they had all sorts of things they may have been saying about, look at me. And by the way, there's different clues that we get throughout the New Testament about some red flags of false teachers. You know, greed is one, but one area is whenever someone wants everyone to look at them. When people are very excited about being able to say, well, look at what I've done. Look at my knowledge. Look at my expertise. Look at my eloquence. Look at whatever it may be. When the focus becomes on them, that's a red flag and a warning. I think that's why Paul was so hesitant, even though Paul, if you, if you just stood any of these men up to Paul and said, okay, what have you done for Christ? What have you accomplished? What have you suffered for Christ? Paul was far and away the winner. But it pained Paul. You can, you can just tell he feels so awkward in this letter when he talks about his sufferings, when he talks about what his capabilities, when he talks about what he's done. And even as he talks about those things, and we're going to talk about some of it here in a moment, he still always brings it back to the Lord. You see, because he didn't think that his ability and his work and his accomplishments were because he was so great, but they were because the Lord had granted him that capability, because the Lord had been gracious to him, because the Lord had sent him, because the Lord had been with him. And so even though from a human standpoint, if there's anybody that's ever been able to boast about their Christianity, it would have been Paul. He still says, I will boast in the Lord. He will give glory to the Lord. Now, also here in 2 Corinthians, and with that idea in this section, there's something else that comes up in, in chapter 12, and there's many passages we could go to, but I want to go over to this passage. After he has talked about some of his dealings, he's talked about the persecution he's endured, he's talked about the hardships he's suffered. In verse 12, he, there's this interesting passage uh, where he says, if I'm, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. The next several verses, he talks about a man, and he says, there is a man I know in Christ, um, and most commentators believe Paul is still talking about himself. Um, but the way he speaks of it he's, is interesting. But he says, I know a man who was caught up uh, into the third heaven. Uh, this man was caught up into paradise, heard things that to be told which no man can utter. He says in verse 5, On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my, beha on, behalf of, on my behalf I will not boast except of my weakness. 
So it appears, and because he transitions into his own weakness, I do think this individual was Paul. It would appear that even though Paul does not give us the details, because in some ways he was not allowed to, Paul was so gifted, so bestowed with favor, that at one point he was given a chance, apparently, to gaze into paradise. How would you like that? Have you ever wished, maybe in moments of doubt, that you could just get a peek of heaven? Have you ever thought how wonderful of an encouragement that would be to just get to see paradise even briefly? In some way, in some form and fashion, Paul was given that blessing. That's amazing. There are people who have not had this experience, but have claimed to have had this experience, and they've sold millions of books. And yet, as Paul says, basically, I could boast about this, but he says, instead, I'm going to boast in my weakness. And he says in verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Paul recognized that this was a very special thing he had been given. This is not something anybody else can come up and claim equality in. It would be very easy, Paul recognized, for him to become puffed up by the favor that had been shown him. And yet God, who works in mysterious ways and helps sometimes in ways we may not want the help, he says, and so the Lord allowed me to have a thorn in the flesh. A lot of debate amongst commentators about what this was. Was it a physical malady? Was it the Judaizers? What was it? We don't know. All we know is there was something in Paul's life that was painful and that was difficult and that was hard. So much so that he says in verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, sometimes I know we think it would be so nice if the Lord just answered our prayers directly. And have you ever wished that when you were making some prayer, some fervent prayer, that like the prophets of old, you could actually hear the voice of God, that He would actually answer you? Maybe it's a blessing that He does not sometimes. Because when the Lord just spoke to Paul, it wasn't, you're right, Paul. I'm going to take this away for you. It was, you're going to keep this. And it's still going to hurt. And it's still going to be hard. And it's okay. Because my grace is sufficient. So no, I won't take it away. But that taught Paul a valuable lesson. And he says at the end of verse 9, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I don't think Paul is talking about spiritual weakness. 
Sometimes we talk about brethren or sisters being weak or strong. Paul's not speaking about being spiritually weak in faith. He's talking about the hardships and the weaknesses that we suffer as humans. And you know, we have such a tendency as human beings to make excuses. And we have such a tendency to excuse our weakness. I can't do this because I'm too weak. I can't do this because I'm not a good enough speaker. I can't convert the lost because I'm not good enough at explaining the Bible. I can't do, I can't come to church because I'm too sick. I can't, I have so many weak, and, and I'm not mocking, they're real weaknesses. Some people are very sick people. And if you're one of those people, you are not useless in God's kingdom because of your sickness. You can demonstrate the power and grace of the Lord through and because of your sickness. That's a different way of looking at it, isn't it? Maybe you don't have the ability that brother so-and-so has or sister so-and-so has. Maybe you have some weakness or, or something that holds you back. That doesn't mean you're less in the kingdom of God. All it means is that in that area, you will need to rely on God's grace even more. And if you will, what a light you can be to others. You know, some people will only serve Christ as long as things are going good. Those people don't have a real faith. You know, there's other people who when weakness comes, when their health fails them, when their abilities start to diminish, they just serve the Lord that much more faithfully. And what a beautiful thing it is when you get to see that. When you get to see that elderly brother or sister who doesn't even have the strength as a brother to stand up and come up and lead a song, but he's here. That elderly sister who can't travel around and visit people and, and do all the things that she maybe once did that may be far unknown to us offers up prayer after prayer after prayer for her brothers and sisters in the church. How many people are some of the strongest workers in God's kingdom who are the weakest by human standards? Now, that being said, if we don't have those weaknesses, how much more should we be trying to do? How much more should we be preparing? How much more should we be using the talents and the abilities and the strength that God gives us to glorify Him and His kingdom? But always in the back of our mind, committed to glorifying Him so that even when all those things are gone, even in our weakness, we can still <coughs> boast in the Lord. A couple more verses. Let's look at, back at the beginning of 2 Corinthians 1, verse 12. <coughs> Paul says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience 
that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so towards you. I think this may have been the verse that got me started on this series uh, because in one of my readings when I read through this passage that, that caught me when Paul said, our boast is this in simplicity and sincerity. That's not a very big boast. I mean, people boast about their opulence. People boast about their, you know, greatness. Paul says, I boast in my, my boast is simplicity. Do you like being called simple? Simple-minded? Simple anything? It's not usually given as a compliment, is it? And yet Paul says, I boast in my simplicity. And that's not an arrogant boast. That's because when you read the rest of Corinthians, you find out what is simple to Paul. Well, simplicity is instead of the worldly wisdom and rhetoric, it's the message of Jesus Christ crucified. Christ and the cross and his resurrection. Simple message. But in that simplicity, there is tremendous power. He says, I boast in my sincerity my godly sincerity. This is something, and again, I don't think Paul's bragging on himself. He's, he's relying on the Lord for these things. But something worth boasting about is something worth pursuing. And this is something worth pursuing. Now, I've, this is a point I've made a time or two this year. Um, but the way our world is going, and it's been going this way for a long time, but now it's just manifesting in very visible, tangible ways. We have a world that is very artificial. We now have artificial intelligence. You can have a conversation with a computer. There's very much in this world that just is not real. It's not meaningful. What a thing worth pursuing to be sincere. You have coworkers, you have neighbors, you have friends, you have family members who are longing, even if they don't recognize it, they are longing for something real and something sincere. And you may not be able to impress them with your wealth or with your strength or with your abilities or with many other things that people are typically impressed by, but you can influence them and help them with something as simple as godly sincerity. That's worth pursuing. That's worth being proud of, not in an arrogant way. But if I don't have any of those other things that the world deems well, but I can be simple and sincere with people, that's a life worth living. And then lastly, and this is a little bit off of these other ones, because so far everything has been focused on the Lord, and rightfully so, but there is one other form of what I'd call good boasting, but it's still not self-centered. Just two verses later, let's go ahead and read verse 13 and 14. Paul says, For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. I've read that passage I don't know how many times. And I've always kind of wondered about that. There's also a, a passage in Thessalonians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, I believe, where Paul says, 
what is our hope and our joy and our crown of boasting but you? And I've often wondered what Paul means about that. What is Paul saying? And I'll admit to you, I still don't know. But I imagine something here that is incredibly beautiful, I think. Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, I hope, and in, in the Corinthian letter he says, on the day of our Lord Jesus, well, that's the day of judgment. I've often thought about standing before the judgment seat of Christ. We often preach about giving an account before the throne of Christ. And that's all true and important. But Paul kind of throws a wrinkle in that for a second. And he says, I hope that when you're standing before the throne of Christ, that you'll be able to boast about me. And Paul looks forward to and is excited about the opportunity of standing before the great white throne of judgment and bragging about his brothers and sisters in Christ. About boasting to the Lord, not about himself, not about his accomplishments, but about his brethren. Just think of the weight of that statement. Imagine one day you'll be standing before the great white throne and I, this, is, I don't, this isn't a perfect analogy, so understand that, but it's much greater than an interview. But everyone here has probably been in an interview, been in that really uncomfortable spot where that boss said, brag on yourself a little bit. What are you good at? Why should we hire you? You know, I've always had managers and people say, you know, you need to answer that question. You got it. You can't. It's not a time to be humble. That's a time to, to tell them your strengths. That's a time to show what you can do. Imagine Jesus gave, gives you that opportunity. And he says, okay, why should you get in? Why are you valuable to the kingdom? Imagine he says that to Paul. And man, Paul can nail this question. And he says, you know what? I'd rather talk about Corinth and how great they are. You know, I'd rather talk about those brothers and sisters in Thessalonica who were persecuted for you, Lord, and I just, I have to boast about them. <sighs> who would do that? Paul looked forward to it. And he hoped that they would be able to do that too. Not to brag and build him up, but he hoped that he would be so meaningful and helpful for them that when they had the opportunity before Christ's throne, that they would say, Lord, thank you for Paul. Thank you for what he did. Thank you for letting him be a part of us. He built us. We may not be here if it weren't for Paul. Paul didn't have to say that. They would. What an incredible picture. And here's the bigger question. Why wait till judgment? Why wait till then to build up your brothers and sisters? 
I don't mean giving empty compliments. I don't mean boasting in evil ways. But how do you speak about your brothers and sisters? How do you speak about the members of, of this congregation? And I'm speaking to myself. We need to ask, do I complain? Do I talk about their weakness? Do I talk about why I'm frustrated? And I'm not saying that we overlook sin. Remember, Paul said this to the Corinthians, people who he rebuked bluntly. But he did that because he loved them. But also he did that to them. He didn't complain about them to everybody else. He confronted their issues with them because he loved them. There's other passages. When he was in Macedonia, he boasted about the generosity of the Corinthians. And he looked forward to boasting about the Lord. How often do you complain about your brethren? How often, when another brother comes up, another sister comes up, do you take that opportunity to build them up? Whether or not they're ever going to hear about it. To tell someone else how thankful you are for them. To let someone else know how they've helped you along your life. How often in prayer do we stop and say, Lord, thank you for my brethren. Thank you for the encouragement they bring me. Thank you for the help that they offer me. Again, we don't have to wait till judgment. In fact, if we do, we probably won't be able to boast then either. But what an incredible picture. You know, I hope as an individual who has been blessed with the opportunity to labor here, and wherever, you know, whether I labor here the rest of my life or wherever, I hope that I can, like Paul, I hope that I can impact others. And I hope others will have a right and a reason to be able to boast to the Lord about me. And I hope that I will cultivate an attitude and look forward to boasting to the Lord about all the people that I've been able to be with and to be a part of as a brother in Christ. There's a lot of bad boasting in the world, but there's some good boasting that can take place too. And I hope that this lesson has given you some things to think about and encouraged you to be a good boaster, someone that boasts in the Lord and in the things of the Lord and in the Lord's people.